Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead, grab them. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, I have, uh, I have my, my boys, Zach and Casey in the back. They have Bibles. If you need a print Bible, and we'd love you to have one this morning, just raise your hand and they will, uh, they'll run down the aisle as fast as they can and, uh, and deliver the goods to you. So if you need a Bible, don't be shy. Raise your hand. We got the two tallest guys in our church because you know this whole thing can get dicey. So we wanna make sure everything's good. So just raise your hand if you need a Bible. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter five. If you're new here, uh, we are in week four uh, in our summer series called Fruitfulness. Um, basically going through the fruit of, of the spirit uh, that we find here in Galatians five, which is what we're getting ready to read. And this is how we would describe sort of the theme of our series, which is that the fruit of the spirit is a visible outworking of the invisible inworking of God's spirit in us. Another way to say it is that it's the character traits of Jesus that get poured into us at the time of salvation um, and then they come working out of us as we continue to grow and mature in Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, when he was writing a letter uh, to the Galatian church, if you guys are getting there, chapter five, we're gonna pick up in verse 22. And he said, this is what it looks like. This is what that outworking is actually going to look like in you. And he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he says, against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So upon receiving salvation from Jesus, what happens is our desires and our passions are changed. They're regenerated and they're altered. So what that means is we desire and we want the things that God wants. And so because of that, by virtue of that, by having these new hearts, these are the things that start popping out, love, joy, peace, patience, so on and so forth. So for the first couple of weeks so far, we've hit love and joy. And then today we are, we are going to be talking about peace, like we indicated at the beginning. So this month marks uh, nine years since uh, myself, my wife, and at the time our, our daughter moved uh, to Ohio. And I remember, man, just the first day that uh, we came rolling into town, unpacked the truck, everything's just lying in boxes, you know, around the house. Um, I had a, a teenage daughter and two cats, none of whom were overflowing with joy at that particular moment. And the first night that we were here, um, just this crazy, like monsoon-like Ohio storm just decided to, to just unleash on us. And I mean, we'd never seen anything like that. I mean, it was, it was one of those ones, right? You got the trees like blowing away. You got like cars floating down the street, houses spinning into the air, all Wizard of Oz style. I mean, it literally felt crazy. Um, we had never experienced anything like that. And what was so ironic about that storm that was raging outside of our house was that it sort of equaled the storm that was raging inside of us, man. I mean, we had just landed. Um, we had left the place that I was born and raised in. There was, there was guilt. I'm looking at my daughter. There's guilt. You know, there's fear about the future. And there's just a ton of anxiety and worry, the thought was, what have we done? What have we gotten ourselves into? We had no calmness. 
We had no calmness of soul at that particular moment. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says these amazing words that sort of get us into understanding what his character is. And he said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Then he says this, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so what this tells us from Jesus is that from the very beginning, part of the mission of Jesus coming to earth to sacrifice for our life and for the forgiveness of our sins is that he was for our peace. Part of his plan was that it was a peaceful plan. Part of it was that he wanted us to gain something that we would lack otherwise without him. And that is called peace, one of the fruits of the spirit. John MacArthur defines peace this way. He says, it's an inner calm that results from confidence in one's saving relationship with Christ. Tim Keller describes peace like this, a confidence and rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than in your own. We're gonna try to unpack those two definitions in so many ways as we go to God's word. Uh, Keller says this, what is the counterfeit of peace? So we think of peace as being a confidence and a rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than our own. What would be the opposite of that? Well, he describes the fake version of peace as being indifference, apathy, or just not caring at all about something, which is kind of kind of flips our definitions around a little bit because that's not where I would go if I was thinking of what was the opposite of peace, but we'll, we'll kind of see how that's true as we get further into this. So Jerry Bridges, who wrote this book called uh, The Fruit of the Lord, um, he gave us this really great threefold, what he calls a threefold expression of peace as we dig into God's word to try to understand peace. And he broke it down these three ways, and this is how we're gonna break it down. He says, peace for the believer is threefold. It's having peace with God, it's having peace within ourselves, and it's having peace with other people, all right? So we're gonna start with peace with God. What does it mean to have peace with God? Let's go to Romans chapter five. I'm gonna have you guys just literally like Bible drilling yourselves to death here. Romans chapter five, this is what we learn about what peace with God actually means for us at the beginning of Romans five. So as you're getting there, I'm gonna read it. It says this, chapter five, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Paul says it, he's not trying to be obscure. He's not trying to be clever. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, because why? Because we've been justified by faith. So what this tells us when we start talking about this fruit of the spirit that is called peace, which by the way, I mentioned this last week, when we talk about joy and peace, I feel like we get into this territory with these particular fruits that starts feeling a little bit vague, right? It's like, you tell me to be kind, got it, I, most of the time, you know? You tell me to be gentle, you tell me to have patience, you tell me to exhibit self-control. I may not do that very well all the time, but, but it, I'm not confused about what that might look like as it's pouring out of my life, right? But when we start getting into joy and peace, it feels a little more elusive to us. We're not quite so sure what exactly it means or how we're to live out joy or live out peace. 
And so Jerry Bridges starts with saying, well, the way that we need to understand peace so that we can live it out is we've got to have peace with God. And that's why we just read Romans chapter five, verse one. So as sinners, we need to have peace with God in order to have the peace of God. It's just fundamental to our salvation and how we are to have peace. So the question then we ask this morning before we get into anything else, because we have to front load it, because without this, without peace with God, there really is no peace. It's a piece that's gonna hit a ceiling and then drop us to the floor because it has limitations. And we go after peace that doesn't have its root in the gospel, we just are hitting limitations. And it's something that might suffice for a while, we feel it for a while, right? It's like medication, it's like getting a headache. I take ibuprofen, but you know what? Like I didn't just take ibuprofen one time like 40 years ago. Like I gotta take it every time my head starts hurting, right? I, I need to keep taking it because it's not a lasting peace for us, right? So that's what Jerry Bridges is talking about here when he says peace with God. And the question for us then in the very beginning is are you good with God? Are you good with God? Ronnie, you're always like hitting evangelism over the last three weeks in this, in this sermon series. Don't you just assume we're all good with God? We showed up here, didn't we? Yeah, I know, but you all ain't good with God. Some of you guys come week after week and you're not good with him. You've not given your life to the rulership and ownership of Jesus Christ. You might just like the surroundings. You might just like the music. You might just like the cafe. You might just like how friendly we are. You just might like how you feel when you're hanging in our culture that we've established. That does not mean you have peace with God. Ronnie, are you judging me right now? I'm not. I'm asking you a fundamental question so that you might understand whether you will have a lasting peace rather than going after temporary peace and that it has to begin with this fundamental question, which is, are you good with God? Have you ever come into contact with someone that you have conflict with? Have you ever had to sit down? Have you ever had to anticipate a meeting and you knew that things were just crazy and somebody was angry with you? How do you feel when that happens? Well, you feel unsettled and you feel like you don't know what to say, and you feel fearful because you don't know what they're going to say, and you feel like, man, I just need to get some resolution because I don't like the way this makes me feel. Imagine the creator of the universe having conflict with you. Because that's what this verse is talking about in Romans 5.1. Imagine having conflict with the creator of the universe because you have not been justified by faith. But then imagine the same creator loving you to the degree that he laid the punishment you rightly deserved on his son so that justice was served. Imagine that. That's what's called the good news. Why did he do that? So that he would have peace with you. Jesus is for your peace. God is so for your peace that he sent his son that so that he could establish peace with us. R.C. Sproul says this, he says, when God declares peace, when he declares us just, that's what it means to be justified. It means Jesus died 
we receive this salvation by faith, God looks at us and he says, you've been declared just. R.C. says, when he declares us just, he says, the war is over. He says, and it is over forever. He said, to be sure, believers may incur his displeasure. They may cause him to respond with chastisement, right? Because God disciplines those he loves, but never again does God lift up the sword against his children. And that's just a phenomenal statement. It means whatever winds are swirling around you, whatever direction your life is taking in that particular moment, there is a security that comes with having peace with God that nobody can take away. I was about 18 years old and I had this little Toyota pickup truck and one night it got stolen. And um, we called the police. A couple days later, they found the truck. Everything was fine. Some of my cassette tapes were stolen. Still trying to get over that, right? Um, but what they had done is they dismantled the starter. And since this was back like in the 1920s, they had these things called starters. You had to stick a key in and turn and the car started, right? So my dad, being the industrious type, he, he figured out a way until we could get the starter fixed. He said, here, I got this screwdriver. Just stick it in there and you find the little clicky thing. You turn it, everything's good. So I said, great. Why do I even need a starter, Pops, right? So that night I'm driving, I'm meeting some friends for dinner. I pull into the parking lot where the restaurant was and the lights blink behind me and it's the, it's the police officer. He asked me to get out of the car. He handcuffs me, throws me in the back and I'm just like looking around going, oh my gosh, like what happened? I mean, I didn't know like this is what happened when you went 15 and a 10, you know? <laughs> and so he starts asking me all these questions about like, when did you buy the truck? And you know, all, all these things. And I'm just going like, what's going on? And then it dawns on me that somehow like the report of the, of the truck being found like didn't, didn't go through the system. So this brother just thought that I was the guy that stole my own truck, right? And at some point I had to say, no, no, this is my truck. What about the starter? Yeah, and my dad like rigged that thing. And, he's, and, I, and, I, and I said, and I, said I, I think you're thinking I stole the truck, but we just got it back this morning. I'm not the stealer, I'm the owner. And it's like a light bulb went off in his head, right? The truck had already been purchased, um, I didn't like sitting in the back of his car with my hands behind my back because I was afraid like, you know, my pastor was going to be driving in, you know, like you guys would be afraid that happened and I came pulling into the Tim Hortons parking lot with you, right? So I was a little afraid for some, for some real reasons. But here's what I wasn't afraid about. I wasn't afraid that I accidentally forgot whether this was my truck or not. I knew it was my truck. It had been purchased. I owned it. That's what it's like to have peace with God. We can be going through anything that we're going through, but knowing that we have peace with God is the foundational and functional way for us to experience peace. So Jerry Bridges says, we must have peace with God. And then secondly, peace within ourselves. Let's go to John chapter 16. If you wanna make a left and go to the gospel of John chapter 16. And this is what John says. This is what Jesus says in John. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Again, it's Jesus reminding us that he wants this peace for us. He came to provide us with peace. And then he says this phenomenal line. 
He says, in the world, you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart. He said, I have overcome the world. So the work of Jesus, the work on the cross, it gives you peace with God. And the words of Jesus give you peace within yourself. Now notice that Jesus doesn't try to sell you some pyramid scheme version of the Christian life here. Don't you love that about him, right? Do you guys ever see the movie, The Princess Bride? It's this old school movie. Some of you guys have seen it. They may have not shown it in Ohio back in the day. But there's this line in The Princess Bride, right? Um, where uh, the, the, the guy that was rescuing the prince said this. He said, life is pain. He said, anyone who says differently is selling something, right? Isn't that a great line? Jesus is never selling. Isn't that phenomenal? He might be the only person you will ever confront or come in contact with in your life that at no point is manipulating or selling, right? Jesus is never selling because he was the one who had to purchase our peace, right? He never promises a pain-free life. In fact, having peace with God is the path to opposition. It's just the opposite, right? And in fact, in John 15, I won't make you turn there, but it says this in verse 18. Jesus said this. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you, by the way. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, he says, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So the expectation is that the world will hate you. The system of the world that chases after its own security, its own peace will hate you. But you've been chosen out of the world by the one person who has overcome the world. And in this, Jesus is saying, you can take heart. In other words, the world may overwhelm you, but it will never overcome you. Man, that should just be so comforting for some of us that feel like we are drowning in the world right now. So how do I take heart then? Well, Paul points to prayer and thanksgiving in Philippians 4. He says this. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Thanks, Paul. Piece of cake, right? He says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, here's what he says, though. So he follows up that line. He says, but in everything. So do not be anxious about anything. Anything means all things. But in everything, so in all of those anythings, he says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So this idea of peace within ourselves has to come through an active participation in communion with God, right? Paul doesn't say, hey, guys, um, go to Amazon, type in peace, and you'll just find thousands of books offering yoga poses and meditation techniques to bring you into this zen-like state of inner calm, right? That's not what he says because he knows that looking deeper into yourself is not the path to deeper and lasting peace. It doesn't exist that way. It's not available when we go down those ends using those means. What is it? It's casting your anxieties on God, like Peter tells us, through prayer and thanksgiving, which will be the practice that provides this inexplicable peace to guard you from a heart and mind-depleting 
anxiety. Because Paul finishes up in Philippians 4 by saying, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If it was a peace you could attain, you would lose the peace you have in search of it. So what we need is a peace that is inexplicable. We don't need a passing peace. We need a surpassing peace. And what Paul is saying by via of the whole, virtue of the Holy Spirit living and breathing inside of us, one of the outworkings is going to be a surpassing peace within ourselves that we find as we continue down that path and that road of communing with God, praying to God, praying thankfully to God for everything he's given you, everything he's doing for you, everything he's done for you, laying your requests at his throne. King Jesus, just help me. Just clear the paths that seem murky to me. Relieve me of this anxiety and this worry that I just don't have anything in me in order to know how to give it up and to walk away from it and to be alleviated from it. So Paul tells us that's how we find peace within ourselves through prayer and supplication, knowing that because of Jesus, we have somebody who has overcome the world. And then thirdly, we need peace with other people. Peace with other people. If you go to Galatians 5, you don't have to go there, but this is what Paul says. He says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another, right? So there needs to be something about the body of Christ. And when I say body of Christ, I mean you, I mean me. There has to be something characteristic about us that we are always seeking peace with one another, Right? We're not letting things build up. Colossians 3.15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So the body of Christ, it must be characterized by peace because we were called to it, right? I mean, here's the thing. When church brothers and sisters are at odds, it's an odd fit for people who embody this fruit of peace. It's an odd fit. It's not a good look on you, right? When you guys can't forgive one another. When you guys can't go to the ends of the earth in order in an attempt to make peace with one another. James 3 says this, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But he said, listen to this, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And then he wraps up by saying this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So we understand that as a body of Christ that needs to be characterized by this fruit of the spirit, and we go after people in an effort to restore peace. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, make the attempt and trust that if someone doesn't return the peace you offer, because it doesn't mean they will, and it doesn't mean you'll get peace with them. You can rest in the wisdom and control of God. What would be the opposite of that? Well, it's kind of going back to what Tim Keller told us about his counterfeit definition of peace in the beginning. It's not caring. It's being apathetic. That would be the opposite of what Paul is describing here. Man, I had somebody, I still have somebody in my life, believe it or not, 
uh, since I would say the late 80s that I have made, I think, two or three attempts to restore peace with. And there's been no peace restored. No peace. We had a rift back in the late 80s when I was four years old. I'm kidding, right? And even to this day, and I see this brother on Facebook, I mean, there is still something there that's not been resolved. I can rest in the fact that God is sovereign and in control over even that broken situation that has just not found any resolve. Because in my own conscience, I can feel, well, Lord, I've tried to go to him. I've tried to own my sin and my peace and whatever the conflict was, and I have to be okay with that. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So that has to be one of the expressions of our peace as it is living and breathing and outworking in us. We need to have peace with God. We need to have peace within ourselves. And then we need to have peace with other people. So how do we do this? How do we pursue peace? 1 Peter 3.10 says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, Peter says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So we wanna ask a question here at the end, which is what are we seeking? What are we pursuing? Because what we know from Ephesians 2 is that the path to surpassing peace is not a what, but it's a who. Ephesians 2 says, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So this is how we wanna end our time today. We wanna end our time by understanding that the only path to peace is pursuing Jesus as our surpassing peace, right? So here's my question. If peace is a a steadiness through the storms of life, if it is an inner calm rooted from our confidence in Christ, and if Jesus is our surpassing peace that we need to pursue with all of our heart, mind, and soul, then what do we need to guard against pursuing in order to attain a peace that is not really peace, right? So I'm gonna end a little bit on the negative here and what we need to guard against doing. In other words, what are counterfeit pursuits that result in passing peace rather than surpassing peace? Because these are the things that I think we default to in an effort to gain a peace that's actually not gonna be attained because we're gonna hit a ceiling with it. The first one is this, making foolish decisions. Making foolish decisions in an order to attain a kind of peace that you will hit a ceiling in. Maybe you've heard or have said yourself, but I have a peace about this. You ever said that when you've made a big decision? I have a peace about this when it's time to make a decision. What does that even mean? Ronnie, it's cool. I have a peace about this. Many times it means making a decision that I don't want anyone, including God, to speak into. And guess what? Nobody will question it because you've said God gave you peace, right? So it just kind of backs everyone away. The problem with that way of thinking is sometimes we will make decisions from a place of fear, uncertainty, and with no guarantee of the outcome. In fact, more often than not. Does that always mean it's the wrong decision? 
not necessarily, it means that in all decisions that you make, you pause, you pray, you seek godly counsel, you utilize the other gifts of the spirit to keep in step with the spirit by trusting the Lord. Proverbs 10, 14 tells us, the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So man, in an effort to gain peace, we don't wanna make foolish decisions. We want to utilize the body of Christ that God has given us to gain knowledge about the things that we are heading into. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So this peace that passes understanding comes when after much prayer, wisdom and discernment, we make a decision we know God is sovereign over and will use in such a way that grows us in greater grace. Does that make sense? That's what we have peace over. If it all goes south, and it might, we have peace. What we don't do is base every decision on whether we have this Buddha-like Zen moment where the breeze is blowing and we're bathing in a warm bath of sunshine and serenity. Again, that's chasing after a passing peace. Because what are you actually assured about in those moments when that's the method that you've taken for peace? That you don't have to wait on God, maybe? Because a godly peace is accompanied by humility, which is knowing what you don't know, which is knowing what you can't know, but trusting who you know is acting on your behalf. Let me say it to you like this. You can sleep because God never does. And that should cause you to slow your roll, seek godly counsel, and not make foolish decisions in an effort to gain peace. Secondly, what do we want to be guarded against in our pursuit of surpassing peace? Secondly, it's getting revenge. Getting revenge. First Peter 2.23, talking about Jesus, it says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What does that mean? It means let God be your peace, not someone getting what you think they deserve in order to gain a manufactured and a manipulative peace, right? We don't manipulate. We don't manufacture the means to create a type of peace that puts us in the role of judge. It also doesn't mean we're ignoring justice. It means we're rightly placing that into the right hands. James reminds us again in, in chapter three of his book, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, he says, come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. So he's saying this idea of us getting revenge, of seeing somebody fall so that we're lifted up, so that we feel better about maybe some of the decisions that we have made. We're told a different narrative here in Micah 6, 8 where he says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good? Well, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So when we go after people to unearth them, to unseat them in order to gain some kind of manipulative and manufactured peace, we're not walking humbly before God. 
And then finally, what do we want to guard against in our path towards surpassing peace? We want to guard against avoiding conflict, right? Because peace at any cost is not peace. What did Paul say? As much as it depends on you. So we take and we make opportunities to extend peace. Do you know what avoiding conflict is? Avoiding conflict is a denial of God's ability to resolve and restore. Here's the thing. We are able to step into conflict because God has given us a peace to weather the outcome, right? It also works in the reverse too. Every time you avoid conflict, think about this, you are denying the peace God has given you to extend to others. So we enter faithfully and courageously into uncomfortable relational moments to point others to peace. James says in in, uh, James 3 again, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then he says this, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's an activeness there. There's an activeness to being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. So we don't avoid conflict. We trust that God is always standing in the midst of our conflict. And he has given us a peace to extend to others, which by the way, might be the first dose of godly peace that person has ever received from anybody in their lives. You have that peace if God has you. Will you use it? Will you let it work out of you? So here's what we know about peace. We know that it's not a numbness. It's not just numbing everything out. It's not just putting your fingers in your ears and going blah, blah, blah. It's not an absence of strong emotion. It's not resigning yourself, right? It's not giving into defeat. It's not, it is what it is. That is not the path to surpassing peace. It's a fight against unbelief. It's a fight against unbelief. It's a fight to believe the faithfulness of God. I told you guys a few weeks ago when we got back from vacation, we'd just gotten back and there was a pastor in our network named Kevin Galloway who had died in a car accident the, the morning before we got back. And they had asked uh, Melissa and I to come to his church that Sunday, preach in his place. Um, and so we were there. They have a two-congregational multi-site church like we do. His wife, uh, Davina, was there. Their three kids were there. We didn't know if they were coming. Um, but the, I remember something that really I'll never forget um, when we went to take communion that morning, um, again, as two bodies that were grieving the loss of their pastor of, I think, 12 years. And I remember seeing Davina, uh, Kevin's wife, and I remember her walking down uh, the aisle um, to where the bread and the cup were on the table. And I remember her grabbing the, the bread and her, like her hand was shaking And I remember her tearing off the bread as her hand is shaking. And I remember it going down into the cup, shaking. I was standing right there. And she moved it up to her mouth, shaking. And it was like she could barely get it in her mouth. But she put it in her mouth. And she took of the bread and the cup. And she was surrounded by a church family that embraced her and reminded her that she was loved. 
It was really a moving moment for me seeing her act out what we would call a positional peace, um, even though she wasn't feeling any practical peace, right? So sometimes for us, peace is obeying in the midst of maybe some of the worst things that are storming around us, trusting that God is acting on our behalf. He's going to act justly. He is the anchor in our storm. A Christian is the only person who can say, everything is going to be all right. In that moment, Davina had a particular hope that everything was going to be all right. She's not gonna have her husband back today, but she will see Kevin again someday. Everything is going to be all right. And that was the peace that was surpassing everything that she could have known about what peace even meant to give her the ability to stand up on her legs and walk down that aisle and dip that bread into the cup, reminded once again that it was the life and death of Jesus that provided the peace that would have been impossible for her to have otherwise. Listen to these kind words from Jesus for those of us who desire peace in John 14. He said, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Do you see how Jesus is for our peace? He left us with the Holy Spirit so that all the things that crowd around our heart and push in and cause us to doubt and cause us to be just mired in the murkiness of unbelief, we have something more powerful than that. We have something more true than that that exists inside of us that brings us to a surpassing peace. And he said this, like we read in the beginning, peace I leave with you. So this spirit that we have inside of us, it is the path to surpassing peace. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But I am troubled, Ronnie, and I am afraid. Let's bow our heads. Let's ask that the Lord would provide us and remind us about that surpassing peace that he has given to those of us who have peace with God. God, we don't preach sermons, we don't open your word under some false illusion that we don't struggle and wrestle with the things that we learn massively. God, we do. And all of us today, as we think about peace, we think about our lack of peace. And Lord, we think about all the things that we may be pursuing that are passing peace rather than surpassing peace. God, would you reposition our eyes to you? Would you remind us of the cost that our peace came as the result of, which is your death? Or would you renew us once again um, in the joy that comes with knowing that 
Lord, our, our lives are accounted for. Lord, that you've given us a peace that surpasses understanding, that anxiety and worry don't have to be the functional gods and saviors of our life any longer. And God, you also have patience with us and you have so much grace in us as even your children struggle with all of the things that bear down on us, that this world bears down on us. Lord, we reach for them, we adopt them, we immerse ourselves in them, and then we find that they're not working. So God, I pray that you would reveal those things that are not working for us in our peace today. And God, we would repent of those things. Lord, that you would recalibrate our thinking, that you would redirect our hearts towards looking to you for our peace. So God, would you do this for us in ways that we don't even know how to pray and don't quite even understand um, are gonna play out? Would you do that for us today, Lord, as we obey you, as we now sing to you from the depths of our soul, not the triumph of our soul necessarily, but knowing that because of Christ and because of the cross, Lord, you have a peace that you have given us that's been established in the broken body and the blood of Christ that is ours. And that Lord, we are eager to receive once again from you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.